Have you ever heard a musical artist described as having great chops? What does that mean? Well, the term chops is slang in the music business that refers to an artist that has developed great skills over time, whether they are a musician, composer, producer, or other titles associated with the music business. This is Scott Grimaldi, your host of Got Chops. Join me as I interview one musical artist per episode that I've had the pleasure of either performing, recording, or work with in my career. Plus, I'll be interviewing artists I've always wanted to speak with. We'll discover how each artist developed their chops, listen to their stories, and much more. This is Got Chops. My special guest artist for today is the lead trombonist with the U.S. Army Blues in Washington, D.C., an arranger, composer, and educator. That's him on the track behind me, improvising on the trombone. He earned his Bachelor of Music degree from the Juilliard School, a Master of Music degree from the University of Miami, and a Doctor of Musical Arts degree from the Frost School of Music at the University of Miami. His list of accomplishments include three albums of original compositions and arrangements, leader of his jazz septet and jazz orchestra, and a new upcoming album, Kemet, The Black Land, set to be released in the near future. My guest is also a member of the jazz faculty at the Peabody Institute of the Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, Maryland. This diverse musician, arranger, composer, and educator certainly got chops. Please welcome Dr. Javier Nero. Good morning, Javier. This is Scott Grimaldi from Got Chops. How are you? Doing well. How are you doing, Scott? I'm good. Thank you so much for joining me. On the phone from Washington, D.C. is my guest artist for today, Dr. Javier Nero. This is someone that I've never met or talked to until now. I discovered him on social media, especially on Instagram, and right away I was blown away by his incredible trombone playing, his compositions, his arrangements, um, the way he carries himself. He's just absolutely great, and I'm fascinated to find out today what it's like to be a musician in the, in the military. So Javier, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Scott. My pleasure. So, as a jazz musician, arranger, composer, and educator, what does the music slang got chops mean to you? Well, chops, I think, especially for brass players, usually is, is talking about uh, someone's ability to play for an extended period of time, or also their ability to play loud, play high, uh, just overall technical uh, ability 
And what I think like like power and endurance, I think play a, a big factor in what we think of as chops too. Yes, it started with uh, describing the lip positions of brass players, but it's become more generic. Uh, it seems like everyone that's a musician, regardless of what they play, uses that term. And as a friend of mine uh, recently was talking about got chops, he says uh, it's not just for musicians anymore. Um, person has business chops. Uh, they have real estate chops. It's it's not just for us anymore. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Where were you born and raised, and did you come from a musical family? Uh, I'm from. Um kind of like the Seattle Tacoma area originally um, in Washington state. I grew up in a little uh, suburb called federal way, Washington. Um, I lived there until I was about 11 years old. And then we moved to uh, Vancouver, Washington, which is about three hours South and is a suburb of Portland, Oregon. So people usually get those places a little confused, especially now that I live in uh, Washington, DC. When I lived in Vancouver, Washington, people always thought that was Vancouver, BC. And, um, but uh, my family is not particularly uh, musical. My dad um, has always had an interest in in jazz, and uh, he listens to music. Uh, I grew up hearing a lot of like great music in the house. Uh, my dad would play Freddie Hubbard and Woody Shaw and Joe Henderson, Herbie Hancock, among like all kinds of different types of Motown artists and stuff like that. Um, but neither of my neither of my uh, uh, immediate um, family members are. Um, are professional musicians. So what age did you begin to play and study music? I started playing uh, when we moved to uh, Vancouver, Washington, actually. Uh, that was when I was um, uh, entering into middle school, into the sixth grade. And um, my parents thought that I was a little bit too reserved um, of a kid, and they kind of wanted to get me into the performing arts to kind of get me to kind of like come out of my shell a little bit and uh, get me to express myself a little bit more. And so I was actually kind of forced to join band. I really had like no choice in the matter. And um, we have a, a family friend that like that liked to collect uh, instruments, and he had a trombone in his basement that he sold to my uh, my mom for like a super cheap price. And so she brought it home, and then that was the instrument that I ended up playing was trombone. Were you interested in maybe other instruments as well? Because you know from these demos that they give in schools in grade school. You get to see someone demonstrate a woodwind, a brass, a percussion. So were you interested in any others or trombone was the one that you gravitated towards? I didn't really have really much choice in the matter. I think that like, you know, the natural like gravitation would have been probably towards playing drums because that's just something that everyone like knows about even if you're not like a musician. I never really saw a, um, a demonstration like that. We didn't really have anything like that in my school. Um, but I didn't come from that school district. So maybe they had done that the previous year before you entered into middle school to decide, help kids decide if they wanted to play an instrument in, music, uh, in, uh, in middle school. Um, but for me, I, I just entered into the band program and they kind of just allowed us to, to choose the instruments or they would try to assign kids based on what they needed. And um, yeah, I was just handed a trombone and was like, play that. And then, so that's just kind of what I did. You're a little younger than I am. Are you familiar with the uh, great jazz rock trombonist Jimmy Pankow from the group Chicago? Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with his with his playing on those records. Um, it's not like a, a name that I hear tossed around much in like my circle, but yeah, I've definitely heard of him and I've you know heard his little solos at the end of, of tunes in Chicago and it's a great horn section, obviously, yeah. 
the reason I mention it is you have a, a similar story where you were given this trombone, you're going, I don't know if I really want to play this. Uh, he had the same thing where he was given the trombone and he really wanted to play percussion. But he, you know, stayed with it and he be, became this great, great trombonist and arranger and composer like yourself. So I, I find that fascinating. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I'd never heard about that before. So when did you also become interested in arranging and composing music? You know, it's interesting. I've been thinking about that a lot lately because um, I think as early as when I first started playing music, even before I knew anything about even reading music, I've always kind of had a certain interest in combining different notes and trying to figure out cool sounds. I remember this uh, at, at one point uh, I was going through some old papers and stuff when I was back home and I found these like sheets of blank computer paper where I had like written this little this little uh, uh, piece of paper that said cool trombone chords. And then I just had like, like three or four notes written and I would try to get these kids at school to play these, like these chords that I'd come up with, you know, on the, on the piano and we would play them together. And so I, I think that was kind of just like the, the beginning of me kind of just enjoying putting different combinations of different sounds together. And then obviously um, over time, when I got to uh, Juilliard in my undergrad is when I really started writing a lot. Um, for a, um, a combo, I was in a, in a group. Uh, it was a septet, which is one of the groups that I still have now. Um, but this was a combo I was placed in in, uh, in undergrad, and it was four horns, trumpet, trombone, tenor sax, alto sax, piano, bass, drums. And um, I would just write as much music for that group as I could. Probably like every week we had rehearsals, Tuesday, Thursday, I would try to bring in at least one new thing every week for people to read. And over time, just through trial and error, I kind of started, started to get a much better sense of which things worked, which things didn't. And, you know, it was great to just hear my music played back by great musicians, basically on a weekly basis. That's, that's a great feeling. And I, I understand that because as an arranger, composer myself, um, we all have the same sort of experiences. Um, wondering if you have heard about this uh, thought that, the, the greatest arrangers in the world are trombonists because, especially in a big band, you're between the melody and the background. What do you think about that? You know, I'm, I'm not sure how much it has to do with, like, like, the way we're typically orchestrated or where we sit in an orchestra as much as I think it has maybe something to do with just the fact that our ears have to be so much um, stronger to play the instrument. Um, kind of in the same way like a singer has to like really hear and feel the pitch in like a very unique way than an instrument that has keys or, you know, um, or pistons or valves. So I think that that might be like perhaps a bigger connection to trombonists uh, ending up being orchestrators and arrangers and composers than, you know, the fact that we might may sit orchestrationally in the middle of the of the ensemble i'm not really sure though you know but that 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 being said i do think that all of those factors play a role so i read that you mentioned that your classical training has opened doors for you to play in various styles of music as a jazz trombonist could you please share with my listeners the importance of why musicians should really consider studying classical techniques and repertoire yeah um well obviously like just the most important thing about playing an instrument is creating sound. So if you're not making a good sound, then 
you're like you're left footing yourself immediately um a lot of times like we associate like technique with classical playing but i think that really the reason for that is just because at the time that these instruments were developed that was like the predominant music that this these instruments were used for so we see it as kind of like this um connection between classical music and and instrumental technique but i don't really necessarily think that they're really necessarily connected it's just trombone technique or trumpet technique this is how you play the instrument well and then and then you apply that those those um those technical aspects to any style that you're playing um but as far as it opening up doors yeah i mean like the ability to just play in tune um to play with a sound that other people can blend with um having like a, a timbre of sound and being able to, and being able to control that timbre in order to 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 sound like you're not out of place in different types of musical situations um i think that that's like a really extremely useful tool for any style of music and allows you to be a lot more versatile in the types of things that you're able to do you received your bachelor of music degree from juilliard a master of music degree from the university of miami and a doctor of musical arts degree from the frost school of music at the university of miami what was the timeline between receiving your degrees and winning the lead trombone position in the U.S. Army Band's premier musical unit, the Pershing's Own, in Washington, D.C.? I actually went straight through um, all of my uh, college um, degrees, all the university training. So I, I uh, finished high school in 2008 uh, and finished my undergrad at Juilliard in 2012. Then I finished my master's. Uh, in 2014, so two years after that, I went from 2012 to 2014, and then 2014 to 2017 uh, is when I was uh, doing my uh, doctoral degree. It's a three-year uh, program there. So yeah, I went straight through. Um, the reasoning for that is I just felt like the momentum was there, and it's very easy to just get caught up with life after you 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 take you know one foot outside of the door of those of those college classes especially in the doctorate i've seen i saw quite a few people that were in those programs where where they would finish the coursework but then not have their paper done and then it would take them like exponentially more time to actually sit down and write the paper once they're busy with their lives and i said you know what i'm going to get this all done now and so i don't ever have to worry about it again you know i don't ever want to have to start my life and then stop it again to go back to school that's a really great commitment that you made and um really smart on your part of thinking all that and that has worked out for you that's fantastic yeah thanks so what was the deciding factor in becoming an army musician and not the navy marines or the air force who also have incredible music ensembles like the u.s army blues yeah so um after after i finished school in miami i stayed there for about another year just freelancing and then um, decided I wanted to go back up to New York City. And I was freelancing there for a few years. And I was doing pretty well. I was playing with some really great groups and um, doing some teaching on the side. And um, of course, the pandemic hit. And um, there wasn't really much going on um, in the city as far as like live music, really basically nothing. And I was just sitting around collecting my unemployment check every every week and feeling pretty unfulfilled that way we're doing a lot of a lot of musicians were doing a lot of these at home recording projects 
and and doing these little COVID projects where everyone would record separately and piece it together. But after about six or seven months of that, I think I was ready to try to, you know, do something else. I had heard about the uh, the Army Blues, uh, which is the name of the specific jazz band that I play in, um, which is part of the unit, the Pershing Zone. Um, I uh, I won a competition that they that they host every year. It's called at the time it was called the Eastern Trombone Workshop. Now it's called the American Trombone Workshop. And um, yeah, the band hosts a, a jazz trombone competition. I went out there and won back in like 2014. And so they back back then they were already kind of trying to recruit. They're like, hey, like we have an opening. You should come check out the band, uh, you know, audition. And at that time, I was like, there's no way I'm joining the military. You know, there's no way like this. This seems crazy. All these guys wearing uniforms and stuff. And. But anyway, as I got older and as the pandemic hit, like it kind of really made me reevaluate the situation. And also quite a few of my classmates from the University of Miami and uh, even one from Juilliard um, had joined military bands and. Um, a few of them specifically uh, in this group as well. So it kind of made me rethink that too, because I knew some great players that were joining these bands were like, oh, it must be, it must be a good band. It must be somewhat manageable lifestyle. It must be cool. And um, the lead trombone position in the US Army Blues actually opened up twice during the pandemic. I think they had an audition and they didn't find anyone that they liked. So then they opened it up again. So I saw it come out twice while I was sitting at home doing nothing. And the second time it came out, I was like, well, I guess this is the universe telling me something here. Maybe this is the, the time that I need to jump on this, you know. Could you share with my listeners the benefits of being a military musician and what a typical day or week is like for you? A lot of times uh, our schedule is kind of um, constantly evolving throughout like the week and throughout the month, certain things will be added it's kind of hard to know exactly what's going to happen. Um, but generally speaking, um, my schedule is pretty, um, it's pretty good. Um, I'll rehearse, uh, like for instance, today we have rehearsal from 1230 to 2.30. Uh, we're preparing for a, uh, it's called a, a Latin American Heritage Month. Uh, we do a concert every year with um, a Latin artist uh, with the band. Uh, we're gonna be performing at a Keystone Corner this year. Uh, with uh, Ignacio Barroa, the Cuban drummer. And so we're preparing for that right now. We usually do about three rehearsals a week. And then there's other little things that pop up every, every now and then, um, different different types of performances. During the summer, we play um, this uh, military pageant. It's called Twilight Tattoo. And the, uh, the Army Blues serves as kind of like the uh, pit orchestra. It's kind of like a little... Um, uh, like a military play about the the history of the army and the United States. Um, and then I'm also required to, on occasion, sub in for the uh, ceremonial band. So sometimes I'll perform at uh, ceremonies on Arlington Cemetery as well. But that's like kind of like a secondary duty. My primary duty is playing in the army blues. For my listeners, if we go back in time, uh, way before Javier, if you were... Uh, Growing up in the uh, World War One, World War Two, uh, the Vietnam War, and you were afraid of going and being, in, you know, drafted and you know going overseas and you know fighting, uh, you would mostly just enlist and take the audition for one of the bands, 
and that would allow you to live and, you know, um, maybe not die in, in the war. And that was a different time. I remember being in high school in the 70s and watching TV every day and watching uh, the, um, the lottery of the numbers that they would pull up. And every day I was praying, oh, my God, I hope I don't get drafted. And a lot of my buddies did get drafted. Uh, or some, you know, would move out of the country. It was just a very, very scary time. And a number of them did enlist in the different militaries to play in the band. They did quite well. I had an uncle that played trumpet in World War II in the bands, and then he went on to play in the trumpet section with the Artie Shaw Big Band. Um, my mom and dad are musicians, and when I was like 13, I was in their band, and they hired someone that just came right out of uh, the president's own Marine band. Uh, it was a phenomenal player. Um, I had friends that were in the Navy band during uh, Vietnam. So um, that's my association with people that have been in the military. But it's quite different for you and your peers that are joining now. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's pretty interesting. And it, it, it's actually uh, um, particularly interesting because there's a lot, a lot of really great uh, jazz musicians that uh, that we all still idolize to this day that actually were military musicians at some point during their careers as well. Um, I was talking with someone about this recently, but like John Coltrane was in the army for a period of time. Right. right. Uh, I think Jimmy Heath was in. Uh, uh, there was there's a bunch of different like sax like really prominent sax players. I can't think of them off the top of my head, but I mean a lot of yeah a lot of people served in the in the in the army groups for for a while. And I think maybe that was definitely part of it, uh, them avoiding avoiding the draft and serving in a specific function. And um, as you know, and we'll talk about one of your uh, collaborations with a great arranger. A lot of arrangers came from the military, and that's where they really cut their teeth and honed their craft in becoming great arrangers and composers. Yep. So let's talk about your own ensembles, the Javier Nero Septet and the Javier Nero Jazz Orchestra that perform all your original compositions and arrangements. And then talk about your new upcoming album entitled Kemet, the Black Land, which refers to a highly advanced society that occupied the land that is now called Egypt. Yeah, so, I mean, again, the, the Septet was originally... Um, or how I originally started writing for that group was was an assigned uh, small ensemble at Juilliard. I was put in this group uh, with with a lot of uh, great players, four horns and rhythm section, and so I would just start writing, started writing a bunch of, of music for that instrumentation, and I eventually amassed so many so many charts that I said, oh well, you know what, I might as well start trying to book book this group. I have all this music written, I can play concerts of all this original music that I've been writing. And that that's kind of like how the the septet started. Um, and I also have always just had an affinity for larger ensembles. Um, I love the different textural elements of mixing different instruments and being able to have the full voicings uh, in the horn section, with like harmony, or having these different cross-related lines uh, going through each other. And so it was it was a pretty natural progression from from doing uh, septet writing to uh, to big band. Uh, all of the, obviously all of the horns are present in the septet. You have all the, other than the baritone sax would be the only uh, element that was missing and the bass trombone. The album, 
is a, a similar similar type of thing. I started writing uh, big band music when I was at, at Juilliard also. And at that point, I really had no or very little formal training. Um, but I had a good idea of what the instruments could do. Um, and just like basic ideas about range and about how, you know, these these different things work uh, orchestrationally in a big band. I grew up playing big band music all throughout middle school and high school. And uh, obviously now I play professionally in a big band. And um, yeah, so I started writing a lot for that. Uh, I probably wrote 10 or so uh, uh, big band arrangements during my undergrad. And then my master's degree at University of Miami was actually where I really started honing in on that. That was my, um, that degree was actually in, in a program called the Studio uh, Jazz Writing uh, Program. And so that, that was basically a composition and arranging degree with an element of uh, engineering. Um, and uh, so that's like essentially, you know, the process of me getting started with that. This particular album that's coming out is um, a culmination of music that I've been writing for like the last 10, 15 years, um, including the title track, uh, Kemet, um, which is one of my newest compositions. So obviously through research, you found out about uh, the word Kemet and wanted to write about it. Yes, it's, a, it's an interesting thing because um, a lot of the Egyptology that we see coming out of like Western um, universities kind of portrays uh, the Egyptian people as looking more European. Um, whereas it seems to be that people that have actually been to Egypt and a lot of the, uh, the, his, the historical um, things that have been recorded show them depicted actually in hieroglyphs as very dark-skinned African people. And there's actually some speculation about the uh, modern-day Nigerians actually being descendants of uh, the, uh, the people from Kemet. Um, and there's like a lot of similarities between the clothing that they, that they still wear and some of the beads and different types of piercings versus the, uh, the people that were uh, occupying that, that ancient uh, uh, place. I just find it interesting uh, also on a musical level because I think that like jazz kind of really embodies that spirit of what that ancient society did where you had people of all shapes and sizes and colors and religious creeds, et cetera, that would travel to this specific place to learn and to share information with each other. And uh, that particular composition, Kemet, um, kind of embodies both my classical and Western harmony um, elements, um, as well as uh, a lot of African style rhythms and the jazz sensibility, the blues, all of these different elements that I've been trained in kind of come together in that composition. And it's not really, if you listen to it, it's not really uh, anything in particular that really, that really stands out as like, oh, that's obviously some African rhythm. I think it becomes its own, its own thing. Um, and its own like unique kind of sound as an amalgamation of all of those elements. When do you plan to have the release of your album? So uh, I've actually planned to do a few singles. Um, the first single, uh, I just had the masters delivered to my, uh, my album. I mean, to my uh, record label, they're called uh, Outside in Music. And uh, we're probably going to release the first single from the album in early October. So uh, yeah, keep an eye out for that. The second single will be out 
in uh, November. And then the full release, we're probably going to wait until after the holidays. So sometime in early 2023, maybe the spring of 2023, I think we'll, we'll release the, the rest of the, uh, the, the album. Are there any legendary big bands or big band arranger composers that you were influenced by when you started to write for big band or maybe still influenced by them today? Yeah, of course. Um, probably like, I mean, I grew up playing Thad Jones uh, arrangements all the time, uh, Duke Ellington stuff. But those are kind of like, you know, like everyone says that. So, I mean, so, so, so some people that are, I think that are specific to like my arranging style that I really have like listened to a lot is uh, like Bob Mincer. I've, I've really checked out his music a lot. Um, I really like listening to uh, Vince Mendoza's music. Uh, trying to think of a couple others. Um, I also grew up listening to all of the arrangements that were made by the guys in the Airmen of Note. So, um, uh, ben Patterson uh, is a great, great arranger. Um, there's this guy that wrote a chart for the Airmen of Note that I was obsessed with back in uh, in high school. His name was Steve Owen, and uh, listened to some of these. Some of these songs um, have become hugely influential um, just that by themselves because of how many times I've probably listened to the the singular track, you know, as opposed to like these larger breadth of of uh compositions um by by specific arrangers sometimes just just the, the one track has been so influential just from listening to it hundreds of times you know i have checked out your your writings uh for compositions and your arrangements and um i really admire how flexible you are to go from a small ensemble to a, a big ensemble and um you can weave in and out of different types of writing styles. Um, there, I forget the uh, tracks that I listened to, but your smaller ensembles, it was very reminiscent of uh, the Jazz Crusaders. Are you familiar with that group? Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And, you know, your pitch is absolutely spot on, and the way you blend with the other horn players is just really fantastic. And that, that's from your classical training, I can tell right away. Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up I grew up doing a wind ensemble. That's a big thing, um, you know, in the in the uh, Pacific Northwest. So like every school has has like multiple wind on wind ensembles, and we did marching band stuff, obviously too. But the wind ensemble was kind of like a big deal. Those were kind of like the flagship ensembles of the school. And I think a certain amount of the orchestrational aspects of my music is kind of coming out of that sound as well, because I just had those those different types of sounds like the woodwinds and um, the way the brass would balance and blend together in those, in those groups. I think that's definitely influenced me. Um, even if I've never actually sat down and really studied that music, um, you know, like a score study, but I think just that sound has kind of influenced me like ongoing. Share with my listeners who Shelley Berg is and what it was like to collaborate with him including some other well-known musicians you've performed or recorded with. Yeah, Shelley is a, is a, is a great, uh, great musician, great uh, piano player. Um, he's a great composer and arranger as well. And uh, he's a really great educator. Uh, I met Shelley Berg when I was in high school. I played in this group called uh, the Jazz Band of America. It was out in um, uh, Illinois. 
um, at the Bands of America conference. And um, yeah, Shelly was the director for the, for the group that year and just super energetic, got us really excited about playing together and um, just very inspirational uh, music educator. And when I went down to Miami for uh, grad school, um, I actually took some composition lessons with him as well and really helped me think about things in a little bit different way and kind of push myself um, past the plateaus I feel like I was beginning to, to get to. And um, no, it's just a pleasure to have him on the, uh, on the record and play and play with him. Certain piano players have the ability to kind of just elevate the sound of, of anything that you put them on. Certain players kind of will box will box the music in and play it a certain way that forces the other musicians to have to play a certain way with them and then other players kind of just enhance everything and just like color the music in a in a special way and shelly's one of those pianists i think that's just really um really sensitive in that way and picks up on little nuances of the music and certain ways of performing the music to really bring out the character even if you don't have, even even if you haven't described it perfectly, he knows exactly what it is that you're intending, and then and then takes it to that place. Yeah, I really enjoy his music. Uh, he's just really, um, you know, top shelf when it comes to playing and arranging. Absolutely. So, in order for my listeners to get a sense of who you are as a musician, arranger, and composer, please pick two or three tracks from your catalog of audio and/or video recordings that I can filter excerpts into this interview as you talk about them now? Well, maybe uh, the title track of my first album, Freedom, is probably uh, a good indication of like the kind of diverse musical background I'm kind of coming, coming out of. Um, Freedom starts with a, uh, a brass chorale. which is, again, something that's influenced by all of my years playing wind ensemble music. And um, it's funny that I ended up joining uh, joining the army band after that, because that's kind of the reason I joined. I, uh, I gave the song that title. It's because the, the song, the harmony and the melody kind of had a, set, a certain sense of uh, like Western patriotic style music. And that was just kind of how it ended up being. I didn't set out to do that.
funny enough, the other, the other composition from that album that's like been super successful on the streaming services is called Discord. And that was one of like the first compositions I actually ever wrote. It's a very simple melody and very simple chord structure. I think it's kind of like a slightly odd form. I think it's like 18 or 20 bar tune. And um, that tune just has like a nice little groove and nice pretty chords and a very simple melody. And it seemed to be the one that everyone uh, gravitated towards. Um, it's funny how that happens as a composer. You'll spend a lot of time putting in all this nuance and and uh, the technical aspects in your writing to make something really great. And then the stuff that people like is just the simple stuff that you wrote early on. So let me ask you, um, uh, because I'm fascinated, you you have your military musical duties to deal with and, uh, you know, disciplined as you are, but you also have this other side of you. You have your own ensembles, your, your arranging, your compositions, you're an educator. How do you juggle all that while you're in the military? And what freedoms does the military give you in order to do your own stuff? Well, uh, as long as you're able to perform your duty, um, then you're able to do uh, what you what you need to do on the outside as well. Um, but obviously, just being really organized and having your schedule together and, uh, you know, trying to stay on top of things, that's like really, really what it's all about um, in order to, you know, fit in everything in your day. And the musicians that you hire for your ensembles or, or live playing, uh, do they all come from the Army Blues or, you know, people in Washington? Do you have freedom to hire and collaborate with whomever you would like? Yeah. Um, although, like, ironically, like, in, in the D.C. area, probably the strongest musicians on the scene here are all military musicians. So you have all of these, like, really great players that came from all over the world you know, all over the United States to, to join these bands and they're all handpicked individually. So I would say like some of the top players in this, in this area are all uh, military musicians, whether they're from the Airmen of Node or the, uh, the Navy Commodores. Um, there's also another um, premier army band a little bit North of us called the uh, U S army field band. They're called the jazz ambassadors. Um, so there's a lot of really great players uh, in all the military groups around here. Um, but, you know, yeah, I'm also allowed to, to hire civilians, you know, like non, non-army functions or I'm, you know, I'm just treated as a civilian. As a musical artist, how important is the use of social media for you 
unfortunately, I feel like it's becoming more and more uh, central uh, for all of us. Um, I think, I mean, just like as you said, you look like you, you discovered me on social media. Um, and uh, yeah, as things become, especially the pandemic, I think really, really made it uh, more necessary to advertise yourself because you're not being able to go out and actually connect with people uh, in person. Um, but I think that that's, you know, just as the world expands, now things are becoming more competitive. You can get someone to record for you across the country and then just send you the audio file. So like the like your ability to be able to showcase what you can do uh, can affect your ability to participate in recording projects and participate musically with people that you may have never met, but because they heard you online. Um, so it's it's kind of like a new a new age of of recording and, and music and it's exciting, but it's also it, it creates extra work for musicians because now we're our own marketing agent and we have to do all these other uh, things I'm, I'm doing. Sometimes I'm editing videos together for myself or or trying to find go take a photo shoot that it used to be. It seemed that like the record labels would kind of handle all those things for you if you were fortunate enough to be on one. But now everybody kind of does these things individualistic. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's uh, a necessary evil, as we say. Um, when I was, was first starting out in the uh, music business, um, I used to go to the recording studios with mentors of mine who were really big in the recording field. And you'd go in and you see a conductor. That's the only thing that that person did. You'd see the arranger. That's the only thing that person did. The engineer, that was his or her job. The copyist, a hand copyist, you don't even find that anymore. You have to become all that, and you have to be savvy on the computer and with the social media. Wow. It's, and if you don't, forget it. You know, you're not out there. People forget who you are right away. Are there any restrictions that the Army has regarding what you can or cannot post on social media? Uh, I mean, technically they do. Um, but it's just kind of like normal things that any person that's that, you know, that doesn't want to get themselves in trouble on social media wouldn't want to post anyway. You know, so I mean, I try to avoid making any type of political posting um, in general anyway, because I just don't want to alienate people in that way. I just want to bring people together, you know, through music. I'm not trying to post about any particular political affiliation or any type of person that I'm going to vote for or talk about any type of controversial issues. Um, sometimes things like that can get you in trouble um, anyway. So it's not really so much of an issue to me. Very smart. Very smart. So do you have any musical or life philosophies or catchphrases that you live by? I think if there is any type of philosophy you know, to be gleaned from 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 my my life and my career thus far is just to actually sit down and figure out a plan to do the things that you want to do because they can be done. You just have to actually put the time and effort in. I'm so happy that you said that. We live in a time where um, you look at something on Instagram um, and it's more important for uh, young players young musicians just to get the information uh they're not as necessarily interested in where that artist came from 
or whatever like that, uh, like, you know, you and I are disciplined enough to study, learn, have a plan, as you said. They just want the information one, two, three. So um, that's going to catch up with some people unless they really put that time in and, and dedicate their efforts. Yeah, well, yeah, Instagram has a way of like kind of just presenting the finished project, you know, and the, and the, the, the finished product um, in a way that kind of can get people that are a little bit more naive to just assume that everyone is, is able to just do those things without without much effort. And uh, it's funny, too, because, you know, like you're really controlling the image that you put out to people. And that's one of the words that people are always talking about with the marketing and stuff is like, what is your image? What is your brand? You know, and so it does have a way of kind of obfuscating reality, because in order to become a great player, it really takes many, many hours of not being on Instagram scrolling, but being by yourself with your phone off, you know, taking the time and, and being in the trenches doing doing that work. Bravo. I love what you said. It, it just resonates so much. So do you have any upcoming live performances or projects you'd like to announce? And where can my listeners find you on social media? Yeah, uh, unfortunately, right now, I don't have any performances of, of my own group in the books currently. Um, but soon. Um, in October, uh, we'll be releasing the first um, single from the record. And then in November, we'll be re releasing the second. And then we're still looking at um, a tentative date for the full release of the album. But that's the, the thing I right now to be uh, on the look for, uh, on the lookout for. Um, and then also right now, I actually currently have a uh, Facebook fundraiser campaign going up uh, for the album to help us finish the, uh, the costs on the other end, the mixing, mastering, um, and uh, other little expenses that have popped up. There's also a GoFundMe account uh, that's also um, uh, currently live. If you just look up my name and type in GoFundMe, you'll be able to you'll be able to find it. And I'm offering everybody that donates twenty dollars or more, uh, you'll get a copy, uh, a signed copy of the CD once it's released. So go check that out. That's great. And I also noticed on your your website that you have an upcoming performance in January 2023. You're going to be on a jazz cruise. On this jazz cruise, you're going to be with Randy Brecker, Wynton Marsalis, other name uh, jazz artists like that. And um, I looked through the list of the artists that are going to be there and the musicians playing on the cruise. And you're going to be in the trombone section with a another Got Chops guest artist that I had that I interviewed uh, this past year, a great uh, bass trombonist by the name of Jennifer Wharton. Oh, yeah. Yep. And her husband, uh, a great uh, trombonist in New York, John Fetchuk. I'm sure you know who he is. And he's also an, another great arranger. Have you ever done uh, one of those jazz cruises? Uh, I have not. And it's it, uh, I really hope it happens this year because I, I was actually called for that gig. But then the pandemic hit and it's been canceled two years in a row. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I've been looking forward to doing this uh, this gig for a couple years now. So I really hope it happens this time. It's going to be a great seems like it's going to be a great experience. Great trombone section, obviously. 
Javier, I, I can't thank you enough. Um, I've really enjoyed interviewing you. I've learned so much about you and the military aspect of what it's like to be a musician in one of the military bands. Uh, you're a terrific player. Your arrangements are fantastic. You're a great composer. You're a dedicated educator. And I hope in the future we get a chance to chat again. Yeah, me too. Thanks a lot for having me on. My pleasure. Have a great day and thank you very much. Great, thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining me on today's show. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and could hear why my guest got chops. You can follow my podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or Anchor.fm and stay connected between episodes on Instagram at GotChopsPodcast. Join me on the next episode when we discover why my next guest got chops. Oh,